I love that song and that idea of beauty for ashes. You know, in the in the, uh, in the Bible, when you'd hear about someone with uh, ashes, that was a symbol of mourning. And if there was a tragedy, if there was a time of mourning, they would put ashes on their head as a symbol of uh, their mourning and their grief. And the idea that Christ came to redeem us, Christ came uh, to give us life, um, that he took those ashes and uh, gave us beauty, the beauty of the cross, the beauty of the resurrection uh, that he did for us. And so that becomes a very important song because it's a, it's a song about the transformation that Christ brings uh, in our lives and his forgiveness and the newness that he brings. So I thought I'd just throw that in because I, I liked that song so much. Um, occasionally I can't help myself. Uh, but I'm going to invite our kids to stand. Uh, we uh, normally keep you in here through communion, but this morning we're going to, as we finish our series on community, we're going to have communion at the end of the service, and they've planned a very special commun communion time for you in the children's uh, area. So I'm going to pray a blessing over you, and then we're going to send you to your classes. So uh, parents, adults, join me in this blessing for our kids. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And now, Lord, that's what we pray for our kids this morning, that, that somehow they would be, uh, Lord, that it would be instilled in them how long and wide and high and deep is your love for them. Use this time, Lord, bless their teachers. Thank you for all the folks that have prepared and planned for this time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. See you guys. Well, we're gonna finish um, our series on community this morning. And um, We've been talking about friendship, we've been talking about community, we've been talking about what it means to do life together. Uh, a couple of the realities that we have talked about uh, are, are that we all have a tendency to drift, that there's no such thing as sort of a static Christian life. You know, people kind of say, well, I'm just sort of stuck in one spot. We're never really stuck, though. You're, you're either growing or you're drifting. Uh, there, there's really no just staying still. And, and that we find that in life, that, that we're, if we're not careful, if we're not paying attention, uh, that we have started to drift. And, and you might uh, wake up one morning, you might find yourself in a situation, you might find yourself in a, a catastrophe that you realize, man, how did I get here? I didn't even realize that, that I was drifting. And that, that to keep from drifting, we need each other to remind each other of... of um, uh, of who the Lord is in our lives and have some accountability, some friends in our lives that, that we can't lie to and that love us enough to speak into those things and that know us well enough to see it, to notice it when we start to, to drift a little bit. Now, there's another idea with this that I was thinking of this week, and I have first picture up here. Um, 
is this bicycle race. Have you ever heard of drafting? I really was paying attention to this in the Olympics. It was kind of fun. But this idea of drafting, why is it that when you're, they're in a bicycle race, you know, I always thought the idea is to win, and so you're trying to get ahead of the next guy. But they're in a line. It's like they're polite third graders or something, you know, and they're all in a line riding. But that's because they're drafting, and they're waiting till the right moment to make their move. But the person that's in the lead is the one that's catching all of the wind, and then successively behind them, uh, there's less resistance as they're riding the bike, and it preserves energy and all of those things in the race, and we call it drafting. And, and uh, there's another picture I have that was one of my favorite moments of the Olympics, uh, and, and that's Gwen Jorgensen uh, with USA there and this uh, Spearig, this lady from, um, from Switzerland, and they're uh, way ahead of everybody. They've done the triathlon, and in the swim, uh, Gwen Jorgensen was about 32nd when they got out of the water, but she's known to be a great runner. So everybody was waiting to see when she'd make her move. In the bicycles, this lady from Switzerland is, is uh, a really renowned cyclist, and so she's pulling ahead. Gwen Jorgensen got right with her and stayed with her, and then in the run, she's a little bit ahead, and Gwen Jorgensen just stayed right behind her. Well, there's a point toward the end of the triathlon where this lady moves to the side and slows down, and she wants Gwen to get in front now, and, and take the wind a little bit, and she wants to draft behind her for a few minutes, and Gwen Jorgensen, every time she slows down and moves to the side, Gwen Jorgensen slows down, she just slides back in behind her, so they're zigzagging along the road, the one lady wanting her to get in front to draft for a while, but she doesn't want to do it, and finally, Gwen Jorgensen just comes up beside her and starts talking to her and laughing and basically saying, I'm not doing it, you know, and then later on, she just sprints past her and wins the gold medal, but I thought it was this perfect example of what it means to draft for each other, and, and it was a great picture of, of what the Christian life is about, because you know, there are times in my life that I need somebody to draft for me. I need somebody to run in front of me, that they're just in a better place, they're in a better spot, uh, they know, um, you know, they've had some experiences that I haven't had, and, and they just need to run in front of me for a while and cut back on the resistance. And there are other times that maybe that, that I'm in a position where I'm gonna, I'm gonna run in front and, and I'm gonna be the drafter for the people behind me. But isn't it true in life that we kind of, we kind of rotate positions like that? And we go through life and there's a season when then it's time for me to draft and, it's a, and I'm feeling pretty good and I'm doing all right and so I'll get up in front and, and you can sort of follow behind me and there are other times that I'm gonna need you to, to kind of take the lead and I'm gonna get behind you and let you draft for me for a while so that we can, we can kind of finish this race together because the only difference in the Christian life in a race like that is that the goal is for all of us to cross the finish line together. All of us to finish. It's not about who finishes it first, but it's about all of us crossing the line together. And to do that, we draft for each other sometimes. You, you know, you find that in marriage, you find it in all kinds of relationships that, that when I'm not doing very well, Jenna's usually doing pretty good, and so she can sort of, she sort of pick up my spirits and, and vice versa, and we do that in relationships, and we do that in our Christian life. There are just times when I need to get behind somebody and I need uh, them to sort of to lead the way for me. And there are other times when I'll, I'll run out in front and let them follow behind me. But we live that way and we need each other that way and we're created that way. And, and so it's another picture of what it means to, to live in community. It's another reason that we need people in our lives 
um, to do life together because I don't know when those times are going to come up that I need to draft behind somebody. But I, if I don't have anybody there, then I'm just, I'm, I'm alone. I'm on, I'm on my own. So as we look at that, there, there are so many times that, that in the scripture where, where the Lord created um, pictures for us and symbols for us of what it means to live in, in this kind of community. And as you reflect on, on the scripture, one of the things that you'll notice, and uh, I particularly noticed when I was in seminary, was all of the feasts that people had, all the feasts that the Israelites had. If you ever read through the Old Testament and you just read uh, uh, how many feasts that they celebrated, and I remember being in seminary and wondering to myself, how do they get anything done? They're always in a feast. They're always in some kind of celebration. There's something going on. They had these huge times, and, and here's what, what happens is that they would, they would have these times together uh, that would, as remembrances, as times to be reminded of what God had done in their life, and so they would come together as families. They would come together as communities to celebrate God's redemption, to celebrate God's protection, to celebrate God's blessing in their lives, and so they were coming together as a community to constantly remind each other of God's faithfulness. And we're going to look at one of those this morning, but we're going to look at it out of the New Testament, uh, how Jesus used this time. And we're going to go to Luke, the 22nd uh, chapter in verses 14 to 23, the, the institution uh, of the Lord's Supper. But let me just say first that last week, Troy uh, did a great job talking about Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, and chapter, in verse 42, it says that, that the new believers, these 3,000 people that came to Christ, uh, were constantly, continually devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers, that that was a regular part of their life, that they were getting together, they were reminding each other, they were living in community, and they were continually devoted to those things, uh, to the apostles' teaching, to hearing about Jesus, the stories of Jesus, what Christ had done, how that, that their experience, how that their history of the Old Testament was tied in to what Jesus had done on the cross and, and why Jesus had come and, and building those stories and teaching them about the life of Christ. And so they were continually devoted to the apostles' teaching. And then it says the fellowship, the coming together. Troy talked about the koinonia, the relationship that they had. And then, he, and then probably two uh, parts of that fellowship were the breaking of bread and the prayers. So imagine you've got these people that come from all over and they're in Jerusalem for the Passover. Peter preaches his sermon. 3,000 people respond to Peter's sermon and, and become followers of Jesus. 3,000 baptisms that day, and now they're beginning to teach them, but, they, but you have all of these people who have come from all of these places. Some of them are poor, some of them not so poor. Um, some of them speak different languages, but they're here. Uh, they've heard the gospel. They've responded to Christ. They're, um, they're meeting together. They're meeting in a, the colonnades by the temple typically Solomon's colonnade, to hear the disciples teach, and then they're going into homes, and they're talking about what they're learning, and they're sharing meals together. It says, so that no one went hungry. You don't have a place to go to eat? Come to our house. We'll feed you. We'll take care of you. And so they would have these meals in common, and oftentimes in those meals, uh, they would share in the Lord's uh, supper together l later on. 
they would remind themselves that Christ was coming back, the Messiah had promised to come back. Some of those homes would have a place set, uh, an empty place set as a reminder that Jesus was gonna come back. And so they have these times. In fact, when they shared a meal and they added the Lord's Supper to that meal, they would call it a love feast, a reminder of what Christ had done in their lives, a love feast. It's a great idea, isn't it? Uh, to be together with a bunch of people who love Christ, who are following Christ together in community, sharing the Lord's Supper together, recognizing it's a love feast because it begins with how much Christ loves them and Christ loves us. And it's a reminder of his love. And then it's a reminder of his calling for us to love one another and to share. One of the great things about the Lord's Supper uh, one of the great things in, in those days is that everybody got served before anyone ate. Everybody got served before anyone ate. So there's no pecking order. There's no uh, the wealthy and the people with abundance get served first and then the people that are kind of coming off the streets who don't have much, they, they might get served later, but everybody gets served. Everybody has a place at the table. Everybody gets served before anyone eats. That's the gospel. That's what Jesus would do. That's how he would have us to live. And that's why we're so committed to, to, to sharing what we have with people who are in need. I remember one time I was uh, it, gone to Chicago. We have a son and his family who live in the Chicago area. And we were coming out of the airport. And Josh and I are in front of this um, little van together. And, and this, uh, we're at a stoplight. And this woman comes up. And or two women actually, and they knock on the window. You know how that works, right? And she's telling us this story of woe about um, uh, about her. You know, her, we ran out of gas, and and we just need money to get gas, and and our kids are in the car by themselves, and you know, and this whole story, right? And and so I gave her some money, and and I said, here, you know, this is for you, and she thanks me, and you know, says God bless you. Um, which always seems to be what they say to you, and, uh, and takes off, and Josh looks at me, and he says, Dad, you know she was probably lying, don't you? <laughs> and I said, yeah, but you know, I just decided to let that be her problem. I was asked to give, and I gave, and the rest of it's on her. Whatever she does with that is on her, but I, I think I was called to give today. And, uh, and, and, and that's, but that's kind of the gospel story, isn't it? That, that, that Jesus doesn't say, now I want, you to I want you to figure out how you deserve this first. I want you to go out and earn my love for you. I want you to go out and earn my blessing, but he gives it to us freely. Uh, he offers it to us freely because he loves us. And so they had these love feasts and, G and Jesus initiated this with his disciples and we get one scene in, um, in chapter 22 of Luke, beginning at verse 14. It starts this way. It says, when the hour came, Jesus and his disciples reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired uh, to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Uh, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until, it finds, until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God that Jesus is saying, I have really been waiting. I have been anxious to have this meal with you. I'm very excited to do this because this is the last time I'm gonna eat with you until, until God's will, until God's purpose has been fulfilled in my life. And, and Jesus is telling him, I'm about to suffer. It's, it's, it's all starting now. And I've been waiting for this moment. 
uh, there are a couple of things that are important in these that, that I think are interesting for us that, that Luke says here, Jesus and his apostles. So he's distinguishing now, uh, up until this point, pretty much he's called them disciples, that they were the followers. But we also know that sometimes there's disciples, uh, they're the 12 that he's talking about. Sometimes there's uh, 120, sometimes there's the 70. There's, there, there's this, lots of people who are following Jesus. And now he's got his 12 together uh, because he's, he's calling them his apostles, the ones that will be sent out. The word apostle simply means to be sent out. And, he's, and, and so Luke wants us to understand that Jesus is in this room with the 12, with the 12 apostles. And he says they're reclining at the table. So with apologies to Leonardo da Vinci, who painted the most famous portrait of the Last Supper, where for some reason they're all on stools sitting on the same side of the table. For the photographer, I'm assuming, you know, the painter. Um, but Leonardo does, does that picture that that's not what it all, at all what it looked like. In fact, I think we have a picture. There we go. So that's a little bit closer to what it may have looked like. Uh, when you were having a dinner, you would have your tables, uh, kind of low tables, and they would be in a horseshoe uh, arrangement, and then you would recline at the table on these pallets or beds, cushions, pillows, and so you'd literally recline, typically you're on your left elbow, and you settle in, and their meals, when they had a special meal like this, it could go on for hours, and one of the things that you notice is that they're all very close together. When you're reclining at the table, you see things about each other. You're, you're close to each other. You're talking to each other. Uh, there's a point where we read in the Gospels where John lays his head on Jesus that, that you have this uh, idea of the intimacy of a meal together and what it means to be in that kind of community. So they're laying together. It's not, they're not on TV trays in front of a game. You know, they're, they're not around the table in, in hardback chairs, but they're reclining at the table, uh, that they're settling in for a while, that they're going to talk together. They're going to have this relationship. They're going to have this experience uh, of reclining um, at the table together, and it was pretty significant. Here's the other part of a dinner like that, is that uh, when, when there was a special dinner, the host would be at the head of the table, and then those who were the most important in rank or, or you know, would then be the ones that were closest to the host or the guest of honor. And so when the disciples walk into the upper room, if you remember, there was a lot of bickering going on and a lot of competition and, and a lot of jockeying for position. Who's going to be the first in Christ's kingdom and who's going to get this and who's going to get that? And, and it's in John 13, Jesus ends up washing their feet because they're all too proud. There's no servant there. They're all too proud to wash their own feet because they're so worried about who is going to sit where uh, around the table. And that's not what Jesus is about because he says nobody's going to eat till everybody's been served. There's a place for everybody at the table and be careful about trying to pick your spot because somebody more important might come in and you would get put, uh, you, you'd get put at the back of, of the line. But he's saying that the point is that you're here with me and they're reclining at the table. And now he says, I want, we're going to share the Passover together. So what happens with the first communion what happens with the Lord's Supper that we know is that it takes place in the middle of what they called the Passover meal. And the Passover meal and the Passover season was this time that they would come together as families to celebrate and to remember when God led his children out of Israel, when God broke them out of slavery 
uh, in, and I'm sorry, led them out of Egypt when God broke them out of slavery in Egypt and started them on the path to the promised land. When the last plague uh, was the, the death of the firstborn child and God had told his people, God told Moses, have them put the blood of a lamb over the doorpost and the angel will pass by that home and they called it the Passover when the angel passed over that house and they celebrated and remembered they didn't want to forget the lessons that God had taught them. They didn't want to forget the blessings that God had given them. They didn't want to forget the time that God had rescued them and they had a lot of these times of remembrance and I'll tell you why. Because we have really short memories, don't we? We have, we're like people that say, God, what have you done for me lately? Yeah, I get the whole, I know you went to the cross, that's all great, but what have you done for me lately? I need a better job. I need another car. Come on, I need a better relationship. What have you done for me lately? We have short memories. We forget all that God has done for us. And we have these expectations that, you know, God is a vending machine. You know, you put your quarter in, you push the button, and something comes out. They were constantly being reminded. And when the, when the first church, when the early disciples were continually devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers, they were constantly being reminded of God's faithfulness, of God's love, of God's provision. So this is what's going on. They're having Passover together. Uh, but in the middle of that, Jesus is teaching them something. Uh, the Passover carries the idea that it's a family affair. The head of the home would begin. In fact, if we, begin, if we keep reading here, uh, it, it'll, it'll tell us uh, that, that Jesus, um, in verse 17, after taking the cup, he gave thanks, and he said, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, you will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So we have this place where Jesus gives him a cup and he says, divide it among yourselves and take, that, that in, the, in the Passover meal, there were different times that they would pass the cup. And so we're, what, what Luke wants us to understand is that this is really a Passover meal, that this isn't just uh, passing out wafers and having little cups and they're calling it the Lord's Supper, but they're doing it in the context of a Passover meal. So they passed out the first cup and then what typically happened is that they would probably stop and and sing a song uh have a prayer there, there's a group of scriptures called the hallel it's it's uh, psalm 113 through 118 and they would stop periodically and they would sing uh one of these psalms so let me just tell you just, i'm not going to sing by the way um but psalm 113 says praise the lord Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above all heavens. Who is like the Lord our God? Who is seated on high? Who looks far, far down on the, heavens, on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her a joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. And so they would read that, and they would give God thanks. And then they would move to the next part of the meal. And the next part of the meal would be uh, the youngest child in the family would say, why are we doing this? They'd ask a question. And then the father would tell the story of the Passover. And they were great storytellers, and he would remind them of Moses coming to Pharaoh and, 
and, and the 10 plagues and all that went on and, and the night of the Passover and how God saved his people and now we celebrate this every year because of God's faithfulness, because of what he's done. And they would tell the story again. In verse 19 it says, and then he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And this is the part that we get, right? This is the part that we remember. This is my body which is broken for you. That Christ gave himself up. Uh, you know, the first time he did it, the disciples probably didn't quite comprehend what was happening around them. That Jesus is telling them that his body is gonna be broken. That he's gonna give his life for them. And I'm sure it was a stretch for them because they were still arguing about who was going to be the greatest in his kingdom. They were still sort of, you know, vying for positions in this new kingdom that Christ was going to set up. And he's saying, my body's going to be broken for you. I'm going into suffering. So his body was broken. And we, we are reminded about that every time we share in the Lord's Supper. That the God of the universe loved us so much that he poured himself into a human body. And he allowed that body to be broken for our sake so that we might have life. Jesus told them to remember this moment. Do it in remembrance of me. Remember this event. And they did. In verse 20, it says this, in the same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the, uh, but the hand of him who's going to betray me uh, is with mine on the table. And the son of man will go as it's been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. Verse 23, they said, they began to question among themselves which one of them it might be who would do this. So Jesus takes the cup and he says, we're starting a new covenant, a new commitment. You know, the, new, the Bible's broken up into two uh, parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament, but you could call it the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, that God made a covenant with his people and he said, this is the covenant of grace and I am giving my life so that you can have, I'm giving my life so that you can have eternal life in me. I'm giving my life so that you can be forgiven. I'm giving my life so that, that your past can be washed away and that you can become a new creation in me. That's the new covenant that he's promised us. And Jesus said, this cup represents my blood which is shed on the cross and it represents new life for you, a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. And then he remarks on the one who will betray him. I think this is sort of interesting because th this is a celebration of the Passover, celebration of God's love and his faithfulness. And yet Jesus mentions this. And I think that's really important for us. I think it's a reminder. I, I think it ought to cause us to sit a little straighter and, and, and be a little bit more clear-eyed about the idea that, that there, were just, there was a disciple sitting around the table who was experiencing all of this. He had just been walking with Jesus. He had been living with Jesus. He had seen the miracles. He had seen everything that was gonna happen. He had heard all of the talks, he'd, the sermons. He, all of it had been, he had been part of, and yet he is going to betray Jesus. He's gonna turn his back on Jesus. And, and we uh, have the, the, the scripture that reminds us that Peter denied Jesus three times, uh, that he needed forgiveness for his betrayal. That, and the truth of it is that we all betray Christ at points in our lives. 
we all turn away. Maybe it's out of fear of being criticized. Maybe it's out of fear of loss. Maybe it's out of uh, doubt or whatever it is, but we live that, and that's part of why this all ties together, that we need each other to remind each other that we need these times of sharing in the Lord's Supper together to be reminded of God's love for us, be reminded that we have a tendency to drift, to be reminded that we all can betray the Lord, that we can all step away, that, that we all forget that we have short memories and that we need to be constantly, continually reminded of God's goodness in our lives, of his faithfulness in our lives, of, of who he is. Because when we don't get those, it, here's, here's where it slips for us, is that we begin to think it's about who I am. It's my self-image and my life and my feelings and my thoughts, and, and all of a sudden, when we start to drift, life becomes all about me. It becomes about what makes me feel good and what makes me feel fulfilled, and, and Christ says, let me help you understand what real life is like. It's when we all come together, and we're reminded that it's about Jesus. It's about his love. It's about his grace. It's about his sacrifice. It's about what he has done for us. And there's nothing like sitting around with a bunch of folks that love Christ to be reminded that it's not about me, that it's really about him. And when I have those thoughts of betrayal, when I have those moments of drift, I'm reminded of who Christ is. I'm reminded of his love for me. So there's five things that I want us to walk away with this morning to think about before we have communion together. The, the first one that we reminded of in the Lord's Supper is that we have hope that Jesus told his disciples in a couple of different ways that, you know what, I'm going away, I'm going to suffer, and I won't eat again until the kingdom has come, but I'm coming back. And he did. He kept his promise, and he continues to keep his promise, and we're people of hope. The second thing is that we share, that we are people who share together. We share in the Lord's Supper as a reminder that we share life together. The third thing is that we remember, that we remember that we're reminded when we have a tendency to think it's about us and we have a tendency to think it's about what I don't have or what I need or what I want or all those things, we are reminded of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And coming together around the Lord's table reminds us. Uh, the fourth thing is it challenges us to search our own hearts, to consider if there's anything in our hearts that would keep us from from freely receiving the Lord's Supper? Are there relationships that are broken? Are there things in my life that need to get dealt with? Uh, what, what do I need to do to come with an open heart to the Lord's table and then finally to recommit? As I'm reminded of who Christ is and I'm reminded of what he's done in my life, as I'm reminded about uh, what it means to be part of this family, that I recommit myself to follow Jesus. I recommit myself to loving one another, to, love, to loving not only Jesus, but to love his people, to love my family. And I recommit to those things. The apostles reclined at, at a family table. They shared the same bloodlines. When, when Jesus held the cup, he said, this is the, my blood, this is the new covenant. And when you drink this, you're now, you now share the same bloodlines. And I talk to people all the time about this. You know, you don't choose your family. When you come into the body of Christ, when you become part of the family of God, you don't choose your family, but
but you share the same bloodlines. And we're belonging this family together because of what Christ has done, because what he did on the cross, what he continues to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Lord, thank you for your promise. Lord, thank you that how you have kept your promise. Lord, you've kept your promises to me over the years. You've kept your promises to all of us. And we want to pause this morning and give you thanks. We want to give you praise and recognition, Lord. And we, we acknowledge, we confess the fact that we drift. Uh, Lord, we are embarrassed by the fact that we have betrayed you, that we have turned away in critical times. Uh, Lord, we confess that this morning, and I ask that simply this, that you would, you would grow in us, Lord, and that you would continue to put people in our lives, people around us, that together we can draft for each other, together we can encourage each other, together we can remind each other of your great love for us and the life that you offer. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.